0: Welcome to the Growth Ventures Podcast, the go-to platform for entrepreneurs, innovators, and change makers. I'm your host, Hamlet Azari. In this podcast, we delve into the world of business, technology, and innovation. We bring you conversations with industry leaders, disruptors, and visionaries who are shaping the future and making a difference. So whether you're an aspiring entrepreneur, a seasoned business owner, or simply a curious listener, join us on the journey of learning and growth. Welcome to the Growth Ventures Podcast. And now, let's delve into today's episode. Welcome to the Growth Ventures Podcast, where we explore the integral world of business, technology, and innovation. I'm your host, Hamlet Azaria. Today, we are thrilled to have with us Lilith Davian, the the dynamic CEO of Finexa. With a background steeped in business taxation and a journey marked with diverse roles, Lilith has been instrumental in steering Finexa to its remarkable success. In this episode, we will delve into Lilith's career transitions, her experiences, the challenges and learnings. And she has encountered, and in her insights into the evolving landscape last of digital marketing and its business and its age of automation and AI. So let's dive right in, Lydia, I'm so excited to have you guys on. Um, I think we just recently met during Glendale Tech Week, and to be quite honest, I had never heard of Anexa, so it was it was like a shocking moment for me. I'm like, all right, who is who is this company? Who's Fenexa. And I, I believe I came to your offices. I, I'm like, all right. So for people who don't know Glendale, there is this one street, Brand Boulevard, where it's filled with commercial resi- commercial high-rise buildings. And all the buildings are there. And there, there's this one building that I had never been into. You know, I'm from Glendale, yeah, obviously. And I go into this building, not knowing what I'm walking into. And let alone when I get there, I'm like, oh, there's there, their name is on the building, by the way. So that's one thing of that. And and as I go up I'm like, whoa, where did this company come from? So I was like totally excited to meet you but also more learn about the company as a whole. So all of this is new to me as it is new to you guys guys and I'm really really excited about this podcast. So thank you for coming and thank you for sharing your your personal career journey as well as obviously the growth of the Nexus.
1: Thank you for having me and I feel I feel the same when when people tell me, "Hey, have you been to this restaurant in Glendale?" I'm like, "No." Nope. And I've been here for 20 plus years, so I get it.
0: So Lily, uh, obviously, um, what we try to do in the podcast today is to kind of go not just talk about your company, but more your personal journey journey and like the lessons you've learned and the things that you have come along the way. That's what we're really focused on is we're really, really interested in you as an individual and how you've grown and how you've matured as a business leader, but also... You know, sharing some of the mistakes and failures we make. You know, we all we all like to talk about the wins, which is great, but one thing we've learned that as leaders, that the failures or the mistakes or the the tribulations that we overcome is a really what sets us apart and really makes us become successful later on. So if you're able to share any of those, that'd be great. But first let's start with the past. So so tell me, I mean, you went to USC. I went to USC fight on uh you graduated the master of business taxation in 2013 right so and you you did what every person who taxation is going to do that you went and worked with one of the premier tax companies PricewaterhouseCoopers, Coopers, right uh so what was that experience like so tell me I'm sure every MBT student right now is what that's what they want to do so go through that a little bit and tell me about yours.
1: Yeah. Um, thank you. I appreciate that. So the the journey to USC was actually unique. I didn't know, even when I graduated with my undergrad for Woodbury University with a Bachelor of Business Admin, even with the concentration of accounting, I still didn't know if that's what I wanted to do. What I did like about the MBT programming was, despite the fact that it's business tax, there's a lot of business involvement. We were learning from... Um, Professors that have owned companies had been very successful. So they're not just talking about tax. We did we literally didn't even open a tax return. That's that wasn't the purpose of the of the um,
0: You're learning more program. business
1: strategy in a way. You're, exactly. That's so true. you're learning tax planning. You're learning you you're pretty much learning what every founder and every CEO actually really needs to know. The money that goes in and out of your business, how to structure taxes for personal and how follow follow um you know, tax flows work from depending on the type of entity you're in those are really important things and i know i'm making it sound super super basic there's a lot more complications i won't nerd out on your podcast but but it was a great experience right and when you get a pwc come and try to poach you i think two of us in my entire class got pushed to pwc um and obviously there's a big four and everybody wants to work in those fields uh it was a great experience like Within the first year of being at a company like PwC, you're, realized, oh, whatever. by
0: the way, when what? you went to the MBT program, you're like, I'm going to work for one of the big fours. Were you? Were you? Had you set that your side on that already, uh, or?
1: Not really. I okay. just knew I wanted to be a CPA um, at the time, and if you ask me now, that's a whole different question. But but at the time, I definitely wanted to be a CPA, and I needed the additional credits because the CPA programs had changed. So you needed either to get. 30 or so additional credits or get a master's degree. So I just decided uh, to do an accelerated master's program to get to that end goal. I didn't even know that they had such a great recruiting process from USC and it was just really good. Like I didn't even have to think. To be honest, I just had to attend some of the events, do some interviews and I got hired. So so that that's really all great. And, and within a year or two of staying in a big four or any kind of tax firm, you know, you either go partner track at some point or you go, uh, private and I knew from very, very early on part of track wasn't for me at the big four.
0: So, so for some people who work, who haven't worked at the big four or price water scoopers, d- d- they basically are going out and they're helping large enterprise companies, right? They're not working necessarily with the traditional mom and pops per se. That's much more established organizations and you're working on bigger teams. Is that how the working relationship is? and so when you first start off, you're just part of a smaller team that's serving bigger clients or a bigger team, or what is that exactly?
1: It really all depends on the type of group that you're in. So my specialty was research and development tax credits. It's the only tax Ooh,
0: research and development. And I wonder if that became handy later it. on.
1: Oh, it sure did. I'll, we'll go into that. Um, but, but the good thing is because I was in research and development tax credits, I was I was part of a team that actually a tax team that actually traveled, which is unknown, right? Taxes you sit in the office, you work your 80 hours a week, you get those tax returns out, and you want to take like a two month long vacation. Our team was structured very differently. We had a hybrid. We had a we were able to actually go to those enterprise companies, and I'm talking like Fortune 100, 500, uh, and see their team and talk to them and interview them based on the processes that they have in place to qualify them for research and development tax credits.
0: My God, this sounds like an amazing and, job. Like,
1: this is it, so was, cool. it was so good. It is the reason why I knew private was for me because I love that travel aspect, meeting executives, interviewing people. Like I And I became a, I'm a, I'm a big introvert, by the way, and nobody can tell. Um, I actually started really liking talking to people, not in a big crowd, but you know, talking to people individually, getting to know them and understanding their jobs.
0: Very cool. So you're doing this really cool job. You're traveling, you're learning strategy, you're figuring out big companies, like what they're planning to do, what they want to invest in, what bets they want to make, and you're structuring this for them, I'm guessing. So it maximizes overall what they're able to achieve, right? Am I understanding kind of what the role was?
1: From from an R and D perspective? Yes. Right. So you're going, let's say you're going to visit, um, Disney as an example, and you and they've done some animation research and development. And you want to know not only how did they get there and how did they do that research and how did they develop it, how did they test it, but what is the future of that? What plans do they have to do this and why? And so, yes, it's still like, you know, it's not the MBT where it's full business tax planning, but that R&D portion, it's one of the largest credits you could possibly get on a tax return. So for all of your viewers, by the way, if you're, inventing anything it doesn't matter if it's software or manufacturing or product like you got to look into r&d it's, it's, it's
0: i'm definitely gonna i would definitely want to talk to you more about this <laughs> so that you're doing you got, this and how many years did you do this roughly a couple of years
1: about two
0: about two so now uh where did you know i'm guessing at this point when did you decide you wanted to leave or had you decided that or what happened like How did you discover, was it zero parallel at that time or like? Correct. So help me understand what happened.
1: You either have, yeah, you either have great research skills or a good memory. I don't know which one, but (laughs) yes, exactly. That's what happened. So, so like I said, I already knew from pretty early on that I don't want to go through the partner track, the 10 years and, and, you know, sacrifice a lot of my life to, to do that job. And, and I absolutely admire anybody that was able to do that. Right. But mine is, you know, I don't want to be part of a Thousand people and you know go up together, go down together, but I didn't necessarily think two years was my timeline. Uh, I did meet David Gasparian who is, who is the owner of Zero Parallel, uh, and he was actually looking for an in house CPA who can. Built it was a startup. How did you
0: startup. meet? Did you have a yeah. job opening? You he applied or what was the
1: actual? No, it's actually it's actually a funny story. So so my husband is a network engineer and he somehow I don't know he met through a friend I think David and he set up the entire server infrastructure for Zero Parallel and I guess they got into talking and David told him he's looking for a CPA. My husband came to me. My first thing was no no no. First of all, it's Glendale. Second of all, it's I'm not going to go into the rest of the reasons I had never even met. I had never even met David, but but he was going through some difficulties with unwinding his prior company and, and starting zero parallel. So I was like, I could actually just help him as a friend. So let me meet him. Um, it took like one meeting. It wasn't even an interview. And I was like, I could really work with this person and he's giving me freedom and structure to come into a pre-revenue company and set up accounting and taxes and infrastructure exactly the way
0: Hold on, i, I, I want to pause business. here you said pre-revenue company you you have an amazing <laughs> career a great job you're traveling everywhere your husband is he's warning you saying no is it that i did i understand that part of the story or oh
1: like, my husband wanted me well husband oh,
0: wanted God. you I said, okay nope. so, so this yeah. is a great great so now it's pre-revenue and you're like you know what Th- it's worth it it's worth the opportunities I'm going to have to kind of learn it. Is that, is that the fire that started like growing inside of you? Or was it more like, okay, let me do this on the that was. Let, <laughs> let me see if I can help him out. Which one was it?
1: Oh, uh, so, so before I met him, it was, I will just meet him as a friend and I will help him however I can, because I think he's a good person. Right. So I met him and then yes, it's the fire of like starting something of my own with him, like in a department where, no one's ever touched right and i have full control and and by the way i don't like to be told what to do so it it definitely goes into why i wanted to have the freedom to set up a department and and the the system the way that i wanted to besides that he offered me a lot more money that i was making so so that's that's definitely one of the one of the fires that got me in there right Uh, i'm not gonna be one of the a person that says money doesn't motivate me I think money should motivate people Um, but I think there's limits of that motivation and I have my values that take over money but I like money so so anyway that would definitely combined with the freedom that I got is the reason that I chose to work there it was and I knew the risks I know how startups are I know the failure rates of startups I knew my risks but I also knew I'm very marketable I have a CPA license I can get back in if I need to um, but if I don't try this now, I don't know if I'll get this opportunity. When
0: so, so it. you're you're like you know what? This is totally worth it. And the company is how big at this point? Like how many people are at Zero Parallel when you jumped in?
1: I was I was the sixth person.
0: Wow! And you guys are now Phenexa Holdings. You have just so everyone knows we're gonna get into all of we this in have... a little bit. You guys are global. Yeah, okay. You have <laughs> two hundred plus. We'll get onto all of that, but. I, I'm just I'm teasing the listeners a little bit to where this go, this story goes so you joins zero parallel right yeah. um so you guys have another company too profit times is this in my understanding
1: we have so many companies So, so B- to...
0: Benexa Holdings is sort of like a con a bigger entity and it has different companies could you you, t- can you share a little bit of all the different
1: yeah let me let me give you the journey so it makes sense so when I joined and for the first two years, it was only Zero Parallel, okay? And then within two years, um, we set up another company similar to Zero Parallel in the U- in the UK, United Kingdom, and it was still similar company, same business model, which is lead generation for consumers that are looking for loans, right? Okay. Matching you guys,
0: consumers. You guys are, so for, for people. the listeners who don't know, you guys are an affiliate, sort of, Landing page, driving traffic, qualified leads for people who are looking for loans, right? It's small business Correct. loans or, well, or consumer loans or both or all or.
1: Consumer loans it's short term consumer loans for unbanked and underbanked consumers, meaning okay. it's for consumers that can't walk into a bank and get five hundred dollars for an emergency loan because they don't have good credit. Um, whatever the, other the
0: country, they, have they haven't the country. established their credit yet, whatever it might be.
1: That's that's correct. So so we are the largest as of today. As a couple of years ago, even we are the largest affiliate network that is able to bring all this traffic, bring all these lenders, and match the consumers with the proper lenders that are going to give them these loans.
0: Got it. Zero parallel as a whole, basically. That's correct.
1: Okay, got it. So so yes, and from there, so so you know, if I backtrack, um, when I first started, obviously pre revenue. Fast forward a year, we were in tens of millions already. And then a couple of years after that, we were already in like 40, 50 million. Right. And so
0: while you were doing this, or was this all bootstrapped well, and kind of re reusing the capital, not, no, no raising at all. Just, just one be no. So all the founders out there that are listening, listen to this story. They went from pre-revenue and grew rapidly quickly and were able to scale up without raising any PC cap. How, how did you guys do that? You just reinvested every earnings you guys were getting back into the business or did you guys get a line or did you figure out how to do working capital properly? What was, what was the combination would, of different things that allowed? for
1: this It's a great question, Hamlet. And it's, it's actually a difficult one to answer. I'll tell you what happened, but I could tell you that that's not a normal way. And it's not always possible. Right? So combined with what the founder was able to put into the business to develop the software, to be able to do this, um, and the relationships that he had from his prior company he's very well known in the industry and he was able to bring back a lot of expert employees that he already had to get it up and running leverage their relationships and all of these things everything combined and all the money coming into back into the business it was just it was perfect it just worked out really really well yeah and so And then what happened eventually is because it became so large and we won't get into like current numbers and stuff, but because it became so large within a couple of years, we decided that the system is the reason why we're able to process so much data, so much volume and why we're so successful. And that's where Fenexa was born.
0: So you guys ended up building sort of like your own tech stack per se. So it almost sounds like an Amazon AWS story here. So you guys end up yes. figuring out that, hey, maybe what we're doing, the reason we're able to achieve these things is what we figured out internally, the process. And now let's open that up okay. to everybody else. And that's that's the that's the yes. birth of Vanessa. OK. And that's so what, what year are we now at this point? So. Uh,
1: well, as of January of 2024 i will have been here for nine years wow so the 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 company started about a couple of months they all probably started a couple months before i joined so it's been nine years since the the beginning of the story overall since then you know we've expanded into so many markets and i don't want to jump in i know you like to tease me oh so go ahead of
0: course of course (laughs) so now so like let let me understand so now you've kind of explained where Fernexa was born how it came around time to be um what do you think why is the why is the technology so what is it really solving what what's the big pain point that you guys have stumbled upon that you feel like is causing for not only your company to become successful but i'm sure all the other companies that are using fenexa now
1: yes so think of it like this so when you're in a direct to consumer market and you are high volume most likely you are in some kind of an emergency service right for example loans are emergency insurance people shopping for cheaper insurance all day e-commerce you need you need this product you need it now if you, somebody can't get it to you you're going to go somewhere else and get it home services roofing plumbing all these things so so Finexa's use cases are literally you'll find out when you're advertising your business out there, it doesn't matter what it is. It could be email marketing, PPC, SEO. It could be um, affiliate traffic coming in because people are sell- selling you leads. In real time, F- Fonexa is able to track where all of those leads came from, how they came, how much money you spent on them, and how you converted. Real time. In real time. That's in amazing. real time. And so that way, you don't wait until your quarterly report of marketing to see where to put money back. You could literally do it tomorrow because this source, for example, I spent, let's say $10,000 and he got me zero. I don't want to spend another 10,000 tomorrow. I'm just going to switch it to the source that actually works. I'll pour more money into places that are better optimized for my marketing capabilities.
0: Okay. So now you're getting to the stuff I love. So you're talking about like really attribution, campaign performance, and really understanding all of these things. So- i'm assuming and if there's what, also what,
1: the ways that
0: when you're small sorry just to, you're, just to add, yeah go ahead go ahead no go ahead, go ahead.
1: Yeah, sorry just to add to that right so so you know you, right now it's traffic most people think traffic that comes to a website right? right and so from then on we realized that when you're marketing people can contact you in any different ways and that's when you know we started building call tracking not just lead tracking and then click tracking and email marketing tracking and then retargeting back to the customers you weren't able to close on time
0: so multi-touch really multi-touch you guys really understand okay so are you able to fully understand the journey like you're able to understand let's say facebook sent the initial click but they didn't convert and then later on they saw a google display ad they didn't do anything then later on, they came back to the website, let's say on a search ad where they were searching another keyword that was relevant, but then they clicked and they landed and then they converted. Are you able to say that not only the Facebook click that did, had value because it was within 24 hours or within three days or whatever, whatever rule you set. But also potentially the, the display ad might have, or you don't see that cause it's off, off website, I'm guessing but you do see the search traffic that came in and you're able to attribute accordingly? Or do you just go to the last click, oh no, this is this is where the real thing You can
1: You can definitely, tra- depending on what you're tracking, right? So we have tools for our customers to track the consumers any way that they want, whether they're tracking cookies or other pixels and they're able to do this. Absolutely, you can go back to like two or three touch points. Most of our clients though, they're tracking based on the lead right so they're tracking based on i advertised on this specific date on this forum and i got a consumer on my phone number or on my website that filled out a form now you have that consumer's information so if that consumer even doesn't convert and goes back and you email you do a whole email marketing campaign next month and that consumer comes back now you know exactly what behavior that consumer has to be targeted to your ads so we don't do a lot of e-commerce in the space right now. That's why the Facebook and all of that, we have a lot of clients that do advertise your Facebook, but it's one touch point.
0: Right. That's very, very cool. It's amazing. It it sounds like an incredible product and clearly clearly is has a huge impact for a lot of affiliates. Um so now I want to kind of understand a, a little bit about we talked about this in your past, right? Your R and D, your background and the growth you guys had, it sounded like you guys started launching multiple businesses, started going. So tell me a little bit about your background in R&D and, and how did you apply, structure? Because you, you initially started in what role at Finexa so people could understand? And then like, where did all that go?
1: I was a uh, vice president of finance and accounting when
0: I first got hired. Yes. So for, for people who don't know what you did, right? So most startups sometimes wait and they're like, you know what? We don't need the finance role. It's not that really important. We go, wait, 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 wait. She was hired, like like she was hired before revenue, and they brought they brought her in, and look look what look at this. They didn't raise any money because they had someone who understood how to maneuver and figure out how to scale this business. So tell me a little bit about some of the things that you did that that helped structure Yeah, at,
1: yeah. At the risk of sounding biased, the finance department is probably your most important department. But we'll 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 put that aside for that. right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> and so so the journey is after I got hired. You know, I did the work I set up, you know, QuickBooks and and the processes and all of these. I even set up the third party auditors because I wanted to make sure all financials get audited every single year just for internal purposes to give him the peace of mind. And so I know that my job is being reviewed by somebody that's a little more qualified than me. So all of that was set up really early on. And then I started doing the bookkeeping and I got bored so fast. And you know it's not that fun to you know keep sending invoices like 500 invoices on a weekly basis and then do payouts for all of the affiliates. This is all zero parallel. So then I asked David to give me uh, a developer, and we automated my entire job in six months. Wow! Um, And so after we automated, you're like,
0: I'm bored. Either like (laughs) help me figure out how I don't ever have to do this again. So I can do something.
1: Yeah, I I technically got myself out of a job, but but I was good at doing that that. So, so then I went to him, I hired a bookkeeper to manage everything. You still need the human touch. Like we'll talk about AI and stuff, but the human touch is still very important. Um, numbers need to be reviewed. Uh, and I think the separation of duties is also very important, but because we automated that job and it significantly reduced my responsibility just in the finance sector, not including the tax planning and the taxes and audits and stuff. I, uh, wanted to be a strategy. So then by the time we were talking about creating Fenexa, I was already in like a vice president role in general. And then I moved up to executive vice president. And he and I just worked side by side, hired more people and fired people that just didn't work out. And and there was obviously the growing pains. We went through every single one of those, right? And then, you know, Zero Parallel, I described it to the consumer finance space, highly regulated space. We even went through those types of, regulatory compliance issues, we got through those. And then once we started Phinexa, we kind of knew what to look for and what kinds of people to hire, how to set up compliance. So just as important as finances to set it up correctly in the beginning, so is your legal and compliance because it will prevent you a lot of headaches um, down the road.
0: So it sounds like from the get-go, you already were treating it as a large enterprise, right? So you were already thinking strategically, like how can we, make sure we're positioned in a way that if we ever need any, cause you had odd third-party auditors you mentioned, or you were already starting to think through all the different levers you can pull later on that could help fuel the growth even further on. So that's one key thing. I think a lesson I just took away from what you were kind of explaining. So for all founders out there, like I know sometimes you're like, oh, this is not a problem of today. This could be a problem of tomorrow. It sounds like, no, if you actually take the time and start doing the work up Front, it makes things a little bit easier, and it really snowballs. It starts helping you. I'm guess I'm guessing all the stuff you did early on really started helping you when you guys really started scaling.
1: Yes, absolutely. It, it, it's not just helping in terms of like just the future of the company. My thing is organization. I think fifty percent of success comes from being very organized. Everything else is a skill set that you either have or you can learn, um, and then. There is also a portion of that 50 percent that is emotional intelligence which i'm a big fan of but um if you're not organized from the beginning it's messy and it's messy to the point where you can still do your job but every time you need to go back to the mess you avoid it right oh. and that mess becomes bigger and bigger nobody likes to go back to and fix something messy from two years ago it's the same thing if you were to it's get the, it
0: the garage problem body, throw everything in the garage and you're exactly. like I'm gonna
1: exactly exactly until you have a problem and you absolutely have to do it then you spend way more time than you would have if you had been organized from the beginning that's just my way of working and i have implemented that in every department that we have in my entire life as well and it just works really well there's nothing wrong with having a military lifestyle um because you know exactly what you want to do and when something is thrown at you that you're not expecting, you know enough of your day and your schedule and your life that you can deal with it without worrying about the rest of the stuff.
0: By the way, just for some people before the podcast started, I had asked her, can we move it back 30 minutes? And that definitely did not work in this regimented organized <laughs> matters, but <laughs> <we're> totally understandable. <laughs> Now, so let's talk about some bets, right? Like, so uh, you guys have made a lot of great bets. It sounds like, you know, you you pulled out Fenexa as a big bet at work. Um, but I want to more hear some bets because in this role you had, you were obviously strategizing and figuring out. And as leaders, right, as executives and big companies, when we make bets, it's not like the bets we make when we were managers. These are bets that were like, taking serious capital or serious time and serious resources. And we're saying, Hey, you know, that's, this is a three-month initiative, or this is a six-month initiative. It's going to affect multiple departments. Were there big bets you guys made that did not work out? And what are some lessons learned along the way? And what, when, when did you guys know this wasn't going to work and where, when did you decide, okay, we need to pull the plug here before we en- end up investing way too much. Cause you know, most people always, when they're making these bets, they have this almost in a, a, a belief in them that they know it will work out. It will work out, even though everything says that it's not going to work out. Did that ever happen?
1: Yeah, it it, it absolutely did. And it happened. Um, and it would, I mean, we wouldn't be like this if it did not right. I love learning from mistakes and, and the mistakes can happen both in internal processes as well as the software itself. And we've had both, right? We've developed things for months and months and months that we were so sure would have been the best product out there. And as soon as we would release it, it would fail and we would take it back, either put it on a back burner to come back to or put more money and more resources in there to make it better. Um, That is absolutely normal. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. The sad part is like most people will get demotivated after that. And it's just hard, right? Because the employees that worked on it for so long and that were so proud of it, you need to keep them motivated again. And the, for the owner or the CEO, CEO or other C-level executives that have been pitching this have now been demotivated. So it that all comes back to your company culture and how do you, you deal with these things. But there's nothing wrong with scaling back because the damage later on could actually be bigger than if you didn't pull the plug early enough. That's one side. And then the other side is just operations, right? Did, did you bet on that right employee that was very high salary or... You know, should you have hired this person versus that person? We've we've had a, um so many of those. I can't even copy. But
0: you no, know, you're teasing me on culture. So I'm I'm about to we're going to get into a little. There clearly is a define where you guys have learned over the years a specific type of team member you're looking for in in your company. And you know, I, you must have a great team. There, there's no way. And I, this is just me doing this a while and talking to different leaders. There's no way a company grows at this pace at this velocity without having an amazing culture. Can you share with me a little bit what what you guys have learned or as a group, what is your culture and how did you guys eventually realize as as a as a group of leaders that this is what you guys are looking for not only for team members but also for yourselves. Like how are you guys going to hold each other responsible? Responsible.
1: Yeah, but so because we have so many companies, we are fair and everything that we do is real time for our clients the software is real time it is every moment costs money every minute costs money so it's very important that we hire people that are alert they have even good memory right because we might be passing by each other in the hallway i might say something important they don't have their notebook to write it down but i know that they they've got this i don't need to go back and keep following up right so we hire people that they don't have to be the most educated in fact that fired people from great universities in the past that were more educated than anyone else. It's not that. It's about your personality. If you can fit, talk to different people. We have so many different cultures that work in our company. It's very important to have an open mindset to everybody. All discussions are okay in the company. I don't care what side of the political spectrum you are. I don't care what your views and beliefs are. Feel free to talk about it. What you can't do is disrespect each other once you talk about it amazing i think that gathering a lot of different viewpoints of information is what makes somebody make the best decisions in their life so i opened that floor for everybody to be able to communicate properly so that's another thing work ethic is very very important and i'm not saying like work 20 hours a day i'm saying you've got eight hours are you the type of person that does your eight hour job in two hours and thinks you have six hours left to do nothing? Or do you fill that six hours with more things that are actually going to make you a good person in the company to grow? With the, all of that in the culture, I've adopted the mindset when you fire an employee, you're also doing them a favor because you might be keeping them in a culture where they become miserable, they lose their identity and their values, and eventually they become unmarketable or they're so tired. They're on ask
0: the- you, right? You know, they're very, they're, very they're
1: not happy. They might not know it. Firing is never easy, but you are doing both sides a favor. And I'm a big advocate for that. And I catch it. Obviously, performance improvement plans will go into place. Like, I'm not going to be like, hey, by the way, you, you made a typo. You're fired. But everybody deserves a chance. But you already know when somebody just doesn't fit the culture. And they're not going to be happy long term.
0: Got it. So what I heard, and I, I want to just summarize what I heard, is you you provide a psychologically safe environment where people can openly talk about discuss any idea any concept there there, there's no meritocracy right like you might be new to the organization or you might have been here 10 years or nine years that's how long it's been around so it doesn't matter it every viewpoint is listened to every thought is listened to there's no it doesn't matter if you were six months in or two years in or five, in, five, five years in, right? So that's that makes people feel comfortable to talk about any ideas. And then on top of what I heard is there is an organization that is really structured around delivering results and being accountable to each other. M- meaning if you tell someone you're going to do something, that other person doesn't have to chase you, wonder if you did it. That that person w- will get it done and will get it done right away. And you can count on them to get it done. So it allows this freedom of knowing that once, so- when someone says, yes, I'm, I'm, I've got this, you can worry about something else. You don't have to worry about reminding them. Did you get this? You could already have moved on. And so on and so forth. Right. So that, so then yeah. that also breeds this sort of like a performance organization. That's really able to move fast. And everyone knows their roles. Like everyone knows, hey, I, I'm focused on this. This is what I'm working on. Don't worry about it. I got this. And someone else works on it. But because of the communication you have within each other, everyone also is able to come to each other for advice and feedback. Am I understanding it?
1: Exactly. All? Okay. Yes. And we also have an open door policy. I make sure that you know, the leaders in our, we promoted a lot internally, right? So we might have had people that were very young and very inexperienced that got into positions. They excelled in their skill set and they got promoted, but their leadership skills hadn't caught up yet. So I spend more time with those people to make sure they can do the same for their for their employees that they're supervising. And I always tell them, like, if you want to continue growing, you got to take somebody with you. You can't throw your team under the bus and continue to grow because there's gonna be a big gap in roles and you're just gonna be stuck here. So you're not doing yourself a favor. So that opens up this this communication where everybody wants to help each other grow because it's for the betterment of everybody's titles and roles in the company in general. So we do a lot of that too. And I also also say like, feel free to vent out sometimes. Like it's important to find the right people to vent to. Like, you know, some of my employees like executive level employees things get frustrating things get hard and things get very intimidating and they just need an outlet and i've actually had people come barge into my office sit down on the couch vent loudly for like five minutes i haven't even had time to say yes and they'll take a deep breath thank me for the time for therapists that's all they're
0: like let me be a therapist <laughs> <laughs>
1: But it's so important because if they if they can't come upwards, if they can't vent upwards, they're going to vent downwards and that's going to affect their team culture. So it's very, very important that all supervisors give their employees the ability to come vent out. It could even be personal. Hey, I'm having a terrible day. Everything I say today, just ignore it, please. I will be back tomorrow and I'll be fine. That's that's also an open communication you can have. Everybody has a bad day. Everybody's a walking problem. Who doesn't have a problem?
0: amazing no no i I love this so it's this very it's almost team family-esque culture but it's really team-like it's a very open it's authentic the relationships they're the people are really there for each other and supporting each other and i love that i love hearing everything about that it clearly explains how you guys are able to achieve so much uh other thing i want to talk to you about is obviously what let's talk a little bit now your transition so when did you or when did uh you mentioned david and uh so at what point was the role of ceo because now we've talked about the past so i want to kind of bring the conversation to the present right so at what point did you or david realize that hey maybe he wants to what is his role now he's more chairman is that is
1: that he's the president chairman, president,
0: chairman. so and then obviously you're the CEO of Finnexa, the Finexa business unit, mm-hmm. correct? Am I okay? Which is I'm guessing one of the bigger or the larger units of what, you know, has, I'm a, I know we're not going to talk revenue, but so, so at what point did we realize that he was going to level up and you were going to take this? But when did that start becoming like a conversation?
1: Um, probably, uh, let's just say like maybe three years ago when it, we realized our companies are becoming very successful and David just can't be the face of every company. We now, because Fenexa is so different from all of the rest of the companies in terms of the business model, it also doesn't make sense from a public perspective to have one person that is um, the face, essentially, right? Does he is he still very involved in the business? Absolutely. He's involved in all of his businesses. He is the reason. Everything here is successful and people are motivated because he's the first one and last one out still to this day. And he will continue to be that way, right? But his goal is to just continue to build and make sure that his products are working. It's our job to make sure that the products are properly presented and tested and the feedback is gathered and and he understands the rest of the operations outside of just building the product. And so uh, a few years ago, we had this discussion you know, and part of it was okay, zero parallel, like you've been in this industry for besides zero parallel, also before that he was in the industry for fifteen plus years. And so it's like, okay, when when is it time to give the reins to somebody else to be able to go out there and go to those conferences and talk to those people and meet the relationships? And so, you know, we decided it's time for zero parallel to have one. And then at that point I was like, huh. I've already gone through so many different titles. So
0: were you behind the scenes still for, for most of most of the organization as a finance role or were you already starting to come a little bit you know more public? I, at
1: this point. Yeah, a good question. At this point, I was David's right hand, right? It's it's it doesn't really matter which company it is. It doesn't matter what the problem is. What we're talking about, everybody pretty much reported up to me okay. and I reported to David. Got it. Uh, and so that's that's just the way that the the situation was because you I you were like a son suddenly... C- the whole,
0: whole more or less right yeah
1: yeah okay. from 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 how I operated yes I never took on a COO title I took on CFO and a CEO title um, but that's just the way it was HR reported to me legal reported to me was operations reported to me but we really started breaking out the companies to make sure you know zero problems, payroll is zero peril Venexis payroll is Venexa FBEXO, and just to make it clean and draw those lines between all of the companies, because the cultures of the companies were also different. The clients are different. The communication is different. And so it just made more sense to do this. Uh, But the good thing is back to the culture conversation. Like once every quarter, we close the office and we just go to like locally to Phoenicia. We get like a karaoke. We have like a whole setup. We dance and we, we just let loose. And that's an important part of it. And people look forward to that as well.
0: Very cool. So did you know you wanted to be CEO though? Were you like, like, was that, was that already something you wanted? Like it was, were you pushing for this or was this, you're like, no, I have to, it was a, how did that, what was, what was going on there? Cause I'm sure at this point, you know, and I, and I say this with seriousness, cause like, I know most people, you know, some people, when, when it's their startup, right, they've chosen to be the CEO. This is their idea. This is their vision this. For you, you've also, in a way, this is kind of you've been there from the beginning, right? Employee six, we we talked about, right? So, this is also equally your baby too. Like I, I could see the way you're talking about it and all, all all aspects of it. It was almost like, hey, David, I have to have this role because in order for us to continue growing, we need someone that could. You just don't have the time. Was that was it a, or was it more like a mutual thing? Can you can you help me understand that? <laughs>
1: Yeah, it, it's it's complicated. So so because I've been here for it's just my personality too. It's not even just because I've been here for a long time, but every project, every career I've ever had, I've treated it like it's my own business. So so internally, like I'm CEO, I'm operating at a CEO level. I never cared about titles, uh, and I've never been outwards where I'm the face of the brand. Right, that's new that came with the CEO title. Uh, so the conversation really was, you know, since we're talking about CEOs, like I'm wondering if. This is me talking to David. If you ever consider me as a CEO. And he literally was like, huh. And I think we, we were both in the same mindset, right? Like we already operated the way we did. We made the company grow. And that's just, that's, that was our work ethic. Um, so we never talked about it. I don't even know if it was ever considered before. So I just brought it up as a notion. I didn't expect anything. It wasn't, if I don't get this, I'm going to leave type of a conversation. So he literally looked at me and said, huh, why not? And he's like, give me a plan. And let's work towards it. So I gave him a plan. I was like, I'm thinking like, you know, 6 to 12 months. That that was the plan that I gave him to transition to the role. He's like, looks pretty good. Two weeks later, he calls me. He's like, how about now? Oh, my God. That that is the
0: fastest uh, transition to a CEO. You're like, you weren't expecting it, but it happened. That's amazing. Um, So, But
1: you know what? That wasn't even the hard part. You know what was actually the most difficult choice I had to make? So when I took on the CEO role, I kept my CFO role because my current vice president at the time of finance was still new for us. And so, and I wanted to keep that title. Like I love the CFO title obviously comes with my background, but I think there's a level of expertise that comes with the CFO title that's both intimidating and admiring at the same time. And I just had a hard time letting it go. Uh, But I also knew that we can't, We can't look like the big company we are if one person is CEO and CFO at the same time. So it took me a few months to be able to let go of the CFO title. One of the best decisions I made, but very, very difficult to do.
0: Amazing. And your team now, so you have amazing leaders, I'm sure. Are most of them, so I know you talked about this earlier on, you guys are big on help, finding the right person for the right role and then developing them. Are most of the team internally developed? Is is that, that's amazing. So yes, so from your, cause how many people do you have reporting to you now? Seven, eight people, or how many do you have personally reporting to you?
1: Um, we have about, I want to say eight other C-suite members reporting to me.
0: And how many of them are internally developed or how many have grown with the organization?
1: Um, well, every single one of them has been here for except with the exception of one. The rest of them have been here minimum four years, but I'll give you. I just promoted somebody this week. It's public, Chelsea. She was my vice president of onboarding. Congratulations, this Chelsea! This week she. If you're listening. Yeah, thank you. She just became chief chief experience officer. I hired her seven years ago as a receptionist.
0: Wow, amazing! So look, listen. Yeah. Are you guys listening to this? Like, they they. They really are big on developing the talent internally, very big on giving freedom of like leadership style, culture, all of these really pay massive dividends in the long run. So, so that's amazing. That's, that's, that's phenomenal, by the way. Um, so what, give me some tips and tricks. Like, so if other CEOs are listening in, can you give me a little bit of some tips and tricks that you've learned along the way that allows for all of this to exist like i know you talked about the, the culture a little bit we, we've shined in uh, we've shined lights on that but how are you as a leader determining or evaluating let's talk about prioritization i guess a little bit here on what should the organization focus on like what are you looking at and you're saying no this is the problem we should worry about for the next three months or so well
1: um I mean, some of the tips that I will give is I think that aside from, we talked about organization, like there is a um, big concept, emotional intelligence that is not very common in terms of practice. People talk about it all day, right? It's, it's everywhere, but practice is different from actually just talking about it. And, and the reason I say that is because even when you're dealing with problems, problems are coming from somewhere. Either a client told you a problem or internally an employee told you a problem. And you have two ways of reacting to it. You can just push back or you can train them to say, okay, what is your solution? Right? So I want to hear their perspective of how to solve the problem that they brought up. And if they can't, what team members do I bring in and how do I listen to them? And there's a, there's some kind of a art in watching people when they're brainstorming and trying to come up with a solution to a problem and every person thinks differently. So you can't be that one track executive where you treat everybody the same way. You treat all of their, every word that they say the same way because they don't feel hurt. So my biggest tip is work on your emotional intelligence, practice empathy and perspective when you're talking to people, whether it's clients or your employees, and you will get the maximized benefits from it. And I think I take that to solving any kind of problem in the future, in the the past, as well as in the future. It's worked for me really, really well.
0: Amazing. So really understand the person to the core and understand how you can help develop them, but also understand where, what they're, what they're really saying, where is that coming from, right? Like, you know, I might say something and you might say something, but our meanings behind it might be totally different. And because you built such a bond with them and a relationship with them, you, you're able to decipher that. And then also really be individualized, right? Like really understand that What I really need to be productive might be different what, you know, Samantha needs to be productive or Jesse needs to be productive and really enable that environment for each one of them to exist as well. I love that.
1: Yes. Yes. I mean, the only way for people to really feel productive is to have accountability. They need to own the projects that they work on and to be responsible for them. Otherwise, it becomes there were 10 people on this project. It wasn't my fault. It was her fault or his fault. Right. It's like, okay, but who was accountable for the project? Who owned it?
0: That's that's wonderful. So now I want to talk a little bit about the future. We've been talking about your current role, your press, what's going on. So let's talk about everything that is out there in ad tech world, marketing tech world. You know, data privacy issues and cookies going away. What what is your viewpoint on this, and how does this affect what you guys are doing? Can you shine a little light on that?
1: Well, I I mean I'll answer this in in a scenic way, right? So one way I'll answer this is. It, it might affect us in the short term, but only because of what our clients are doing. We can always build additional tools. If our clients have decided with cookies going away, this is the new format we're gonna implement to be able to track these clicks, to track the consumers and their, and their user ID, whatever they're tracking, right? And if they come up with something else, we will build it for them. So for us, it doesn't directly affect us. It affects our clients, which then indirectly affects us. But the other side of this is, things, this too shall pass, right? So so we're in the very like AI and technology and gen AI and and all these uh, other artificial intelligence and machine learning. And it's there's a big smoke around it. And everybody that has a technology company calls themselves AI. So it's almost confusing to even understand what an AI is. And everybody is trying all these different formats of AI. People are saying, my jobs are going to be replaced and freaking out and all these things. That will pass. There, It's a phase we're going through. It will pass. People finally realize, okay, I do like AI. I finally understand AI. I think this portion of AI will affect my business this way, so I'm going to implement that. I'm going to ignore everything else, all the smoke, and I think that's where people need to get to. Uh, we're not in the business where we're going to rush and implement everything that the industry is talking about because most of those will fail, just like anything. Anything that's brand new will fail. We'll talk NFTs, <laughs> let's not go into that right (laughs) but there is uh, and i'm not saying it'll massively fail as an industry but there will be some things that just will not work in the future and once we start freaking out about robots replacing us as humans I think we will see through that and be able to really take in all of this new stuff that's coming out and implement it properly.
0: Yeah, I mean, these are all great. So uh, let me kind of give you a little bit of background on on the AI-specific one, because it's very applicable to us, because we went through it as an organization as a whole. Uh, about, when was this now? I'm going to, two and a half, was it two, and a, two years and three months ago when GPT 3.5 came out, three, or three actually at that time. We we were trying to resolve and figure out how to write better content, and this is before like obviously ChatGPT. ChatGPT is a couple, you know a year, a year and a half, or it's not even a year yet, coming to coming on to the first year. So we found GPT, and we we're like, all right, we could use this. This is good. and part of why we could use this is obviously as a growth agency, we produce a ton of content. Like that's core of what we do. We, we build landing pages. We write we write articles. We create email. We do all of these different things. But man, the fear on the teams, especially the writers, the marketers, the, and we were an agency, right? Well, that's all we got. We got marketers, writers, designers, the whole nine yards. So I hear what you're saying on the fear part of it, and it, it holds really true. But it only took, honestly, like a month or two of them realizing the balance of human has to be still involved and this is just another tool. So I 100% agree with what you're saying that at this chill pass and people will start seeing the value that it has. And there's a lot of AI out there, but there's true, still gold in it, And 100% agree. In regards yeah. to a couple of other questions, and I, and I know we're we're getting close to on time. So I, I, I wanna be obviously respectful of your time because I know the military regiment might put you over the thing. <laughs> so, so where do you see, let's just kind of bring it back to Finaxa, right? Like if you, if you, cause you guys have done a great job of making a lot of incredible bets, right? What do you see the biggest bet? And I'm not saying publicly tell you what your strategy is, but like if you, if you had to make one bet in the future of all of these different technologies that are starting to come out, wh- which one do you believe? in wholeheartedly that you're like, yeah, this is something people should be paying. Have you thought about that a little bit?
1: Um, In terms of technology, I think digital transformation, I would say. And the reason I say this is because too much technology came out in, and I'm not even talking about AI, I'm talking about in general, right? Too much technology came out in the last decade. People implemented a lot of different things. Most of them became legacy and unserviceable. And they just, the, the sunk cost made companies not replace them. At this point, we're hitting a point where like, for example, large insurance companies and banks and stuff, they're on legacy platforms. And unless they do a full revamp of digital transformation, they're going to fall behind with competitors that come in. So I would make a bet that if you've been in business for more than 20 years, you need to reevaluate your entire tech stack.
0: Amazing. Well, thank you with that. That concludes our insightful conversation with Lili Daftian. We traversed her journey, explored the challenges and strategies in the present landscape and digital marketing, and you know, glimpse into the future of business and evolving technological era. Remember, the journey of learning and growth is perpetual in realms of business and innovation, so keep exploring, keep evolving, and keep pushing the boundaries. A big thank you to Lili for sharing her journey and insights with us, and to all our listeners for tuning in. If you found value in the conversation, please please leave us a review and don't forget to subscribe for more episodes. Industry leaders and visionaries. And Lily, by the way, if people want to get a hold of you, what's the best way? LinkedIn or what should we add? Yeah,
1: I'm very visible in LinkedIn. Just type in Lily Dafti, and I'm usually the first one that pops up. It has a green background. My long black (laughs) hair.
0: Well, thank you so much.
1: (laughs) Thank you so much.